0: Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore.
1: And I'm Tom Askell.
0: Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. We have a conference coming up, a Founders Conference down here in Cape Coral, December 5th through the 7th. And you should totally come and yeah, join us on Humble Ball.
1: In the winter, in the middle of the winter oh, in nice. Southwest Florida, where you can go outside in shirt sleeves and short pants and flip-flops.
0: There you go. The law and the gospel. Pastor Tom Askell will be preaching. I will be preaching. Dr. Tom Nettles from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary will be preaching. Jeff Johnson is going to be preaching as well.
1: we got a couple of special events too scheduled. You don't want to miss those. So yes. uh, come out and join us.
0: Yeah, founders.org. You can register. spaces limited. So go there, check it out. Um, So to get started, we want to talk about something near and dear to your heart.
1: (laughs) Near and dear to my heart. All of the talk about purity culture has brought back a lot of memories and uh, provided lots of opportunities for conversation.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm the father of six kids, the youngest of which is 22. And so we raised children during this whole purity culture movement among evangelicals. And uh, now, you know, I'm reading things about people who say they were scarred by it and Mm -hmm. suffering post-traumatic stress syndrome because of it and all. And I don't have any doubt that that's that's true for some people. There were lots of zany things going on during that time under the guise of this is the pathway to purity and Mm -hmm. this is how you ought to do it. Uh, There were some teachers that were not helpful, like Bill Gothard. He was really big in this. And I know a lot of conservative Christians followed after his teaching, hook, line, and sinker. And uh, it was legalistic and it lacked the grace of God and the gospel being applied in ways that I thought was necessary. So we stayed away from that. Um, and others as well. Gothard
0: or purity culture in general. Gothard. I'm sure it's hard to probably dissect. Yeah, all
1: that. you know, I mean, when I begin to hear people complain about it and warn about it and talk about how damaging it was, um, I mean, Don and I talked, man, what, what, what'd we do wrong? What'd we do wrong? And I'm sure there are a thousand things we did wrong. But we took very seriously the. Uh, teaching of our young, our our children growing up all the way uh, up, that they are made in God's image. Uh, Mm -hmm. Their bodies have private parts that belong to God, just like all the rest of them do. And nobody has a right to those private parts except their future spouse. And, and, you know, just when you go to a doctor, that's true. When you are in your home with parents or cousins or aunts or uncles, that's true. When you're at church, that's true. And that uh, for the sake of Christ, you need to be careful about how you uh, engage people when it comes to the sexual dimensions of your personhood.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it might help, but for those who aren't, it's kind of like if you got on Google and you type in purity culture, it's (laughs) it's it's going to be an interesting deal. But I I think it'd be fair to say that when somebody's talking about purity culture, they're talking about an evangelical movement, evangelical Christian movement that focuses on sexual purity that started, I don't know, maybe around even in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, Somewhere uh, probably the, late seventies, early eighties. Nineteen sixties. If you look at America, you know it's crazy. There's a sexual. That was no purity movement there, in the nineteen sixties. There's, <laughs> there's a sexual revolution, and then yeah. those people grow up, have kids, and they start to think, "Oh boy, if <clears throat> right. they become evangelical, all right, we've got to fight against this sexual immorality that's going on." And so the movement kind of used um, commitments, you know, mm-hmm. pledges that you'd make, maybe mm-hmm. even dances and balls, father True and love weights. True Love Weights was a big thing. I remember True Love Weights from growing up in the church. Did you do that? Um, you know, I remember the phrase and I remember some things. There was not, I've heard of like really extreme stuff, like, uh, you know, weird stuff like yeah. you said that, yeah. I mean, that, that I didn't experience. But the rings and those kinds of things. So uh, Joshua Harris was heavily involved in this with his I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then he came out with a tour and maybe some kind of documentary, uh, I Survived I Kiss Dating Goodbye or something like that. So, recently, this has stirred up. People are looking back at um, having been raised up in an evangelical uh, culture, in this purity, with this emphasis on purity, and people are saying, I'm really scarred by it. I've Mm -hmm. been greatly messed up by it. And so, you know, trying to dissect that is... um, is interesting because you don't. I don't know anybody's personal experience, and I, I don't even grasp what was done or what was not done. Right. I'm interested in the phenomenon itself. When I hear purity culture, if I didn't know any of the background, I would say, "Well, do we want a culture of purity?" <laughs> I Impurity. Think, I would think, "Well, yeah. I mean, that's we do want that, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that we're to we're to do. We're to be holy as God is holy. So, what is it that? Um, what are the main charges against the purity culture movement? One of them I know of is. They'll say, well, what was being taught is if you do this, you know, if you remain pure, then your marriage is going to be great. Um, then, you know, you then your spouse will never leave you. Yeah. So if you do this, you can bank blood guarantee that this is going to be come out. And they would say, well, not, you know, it's not blood bought. It's it's your obedience bought. Um, guarantee that your life is going to turn out this way so that's an application of a law gospel principle mm-hmm. we say okay um one of the things i'm concerned about in this this people that are picking on the purity culture movement is losing sight of all kinds of biblical commands biblical principles that do say if you do this then this is going to happen um like and what knowing that those are like not- what um, So, Psalm one: Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season, and all that he does he will prosper. So, um, that's a general principle. This is something. This is a. We could even put it in the realm of wisdom and the way that God's wired up the world. If you do this, well, you're going to prosper. You're going to be blessed. But now, that doesn't
1: mean that you're going to get a lot of money and you're going to be healthy.
0: Exactly. So, okay, well, look, I read the Bible and I made these kind of commitments. And so why didn't I get the million dollars? Mm-hmm. Somebody said, so when you take it down to the practical application of your spouse will never leave you, well, now you've gone beyond what scripture says. Sure, and so where that's happened, if that's happened in somebody's life, well, I had a youth pastor look at me and say, if I did this and I did it and then I got married and then my spouse left me. Well, yep. that's a that youth pastor has failed. He has gone beyond Scripture and guarantee you this. But if it was a dad or a youth pastor that said, hey, you know what? Um, if you walk in purity, I can guarantee you good, good things are going to happen. You're going to be a blessed kind of person. This is what God wants you to do, and you should do it, not in any way to earn his love and say that, well, I've been saved by my works. But, no, you should seek out purity, and then you should expect the blessing of the Lord upon your life. Um, If that's what was said to you, that's something different.
1: Yeah, well, there's no doubt there are abuses. I mean, we we saw it. We probably uh, fell into patterns of it as well. But God did spare us largely in our own home. Um, He was teaching us more and more the gospel along that time period. And so we were trying to to be careful. Again, I, I would tell people that we had a lot of friends uh, in the homeschooling movement, which we homeschooled all six of our kids. We helped start a homeschooling organization here in southwest Florida. Um, and within that circle, there were a lot of folks that were just strong advocates of all the material that came out from Bill Gothard and his uh, Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts, it was originally called. I think I forget what it called later. But I would tell people, Bill Gothard's not too bad if you don't take him too seriously. In other words, you can take some of the general things he says, but whenever he starts telling you, here are seven steps that you need to take to that will recover your wayward child from apostasy, or here are eight things that you need to do to guarantee a successful courtship, or you know, and he just had a, a thousand of these types of A B C D manual steps that people take, and if you took them, the implication, if not the stated result, would be you're going to have these things that you attain. Well, I mean, that's pure legalism. Whenever you go beyond the Bible, but he was using Bible to make his case. And so people have looked at the misuse of the Bible uh, and these commandments even and said, see there, we were abused. We didn't know anything about grace. Uh, the gospel was absent. So you can't have those Bible verses. Don't use those Bible verses. Well, this is First this is Timothy 1, that the law is good for those who use it lawfully. But if you don't use the law lawfully, you're, you're lighting dynamite and just waiting to, to be blown up because the misuse of the law will take you to hell. And so I think this reaction to legalism seems to be, from what I'm observing, I'm not prepared to make formal uh, accusations right now, but seems to be leading to antinomianism, as if that's the antidote to legalism. And antinomianism has never been the antidote to legalism. The the antidote to legalism is the gospel Mm -hmm. and understanding its relationship to the law.
0: That's why this conversation is so fascinating to me because the gospel is always crucified between two thieves, legalism on the one hand, antinomianism on the other. And um, again, I, I I didn't experience any of this personally. And you know, there's all kinds of people that would bring their experience, and I want to be sympathetic to whatever they went sure. through. Sure, um, but you, you you I get the sense from the things that I'm seeing online is that okay? There were some people that really faced some weird stuff where people were promising them yeah. certain kind of things that are not based on scripture, right? And to the Goddard point side is. You know, it's Gothard. Gothard. We say, well, you're using the Bible. He wasn't using the Bible very well, and right. so somebody had to identify. Well, it's one thing to cite a verse; it's another thing to rightly exposit the exactly. verse and rightly apply the verse. It seems like that's where the major errors were going on. But you got people that have really experienced that. But then there seems this host of people that um, you know are are on the anti-nomianism side of things, and they're looking. We we live in like an incredibly sexually polluted. World, yeah, in a nation in 21st century America. I mean, 1960s, everything's the 1960s, which were bad. Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> just, and so in that moment, to have people going, <clears throat> Yeah, you know, I'm really against the purity thing. There's a whole I'm, I'm wondering what in the world is kind of underneath all of that kind of thing, not the stuff yeah. that was real, but what this there's a big movement, and then there's Christians that seem to be like. They didn't really experience any of this over here. They didn't experience any of the really messed up stuff. But they agree, they're they siding with the, you know, um, kind of work against purity culture kind of.
1: Yeah, and it feels like grace to them, I think. I, I, I believe that. I'm gathering that from what I'm reading. But you can't take out. Passages from the Bible, you can't pretend they don't exist. One of the things that I've tried to argue for for many years is whenever we're teaching um, sexual ethics, or whenever we're teaching parenting, whenever we're teaching marriage or anything that has of the implication of the Christian life, we've got to do it the way the Bible does. And when Paul wants to teach sexual purity, what does he say? You know, man, if you'll save yourself, it's going to be better for you on your wedding night, or your spouse is going to love you more. What? It's none of that stuff. Well, here's what he says in Ephesians 5. He says, sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints. Well, why, Paul? Why are you making that admonition? Because what he's just said, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering Sacrifice to God. It's because of what Christ has done for us that we are to live in wholehearted devotion to Him. But He goes on and He says, on the basis of this gospel, uh, you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And for this reason, He goes on to say, the wrath of God is coming. So the gospel's always the ground on which we stand as we seek to obey God's commandments. Mm-hmm. We don't obey the commandments as if they're a ladder. to We climb up to get us right with God, but we obey them because they're railroad tracks that the engine of the gospel drives on in order to get us where we need to go. And one of my great concerns that I'm hearing from some of the folks within the evangelical world as they talk about the, the, the purity culture that they're reacting to and how bad it was it's almost like they're throwing the door wide open for impurity or saying that sexual sin is not that serious. When the Bible doesn't whisper about sexual sin. Mm-hmm. The Bible's very clear about
0: it. Yeah. If the if the charge against what was going on back in the purity culture days is that they, you know, they divorced trust in Christ from obedience and they just emphasized the strict, you know, just remain sexually mm-hmm. pure, this is all that matters, and they didn't talk about Christ and they didn't talk about the gospel of Jesus. Well, that's uh, certainly wrong, but you don't do right by divorcing purity and saying, okay, well, let's just talk about the gospel and let's just talk about trusting Jesus, but let's not talk about what it really means to take Jesus at his word and to trust him when he gives us commands that's about right. the sexual purity. And then we divorce it again. We just kind of flip flip the script. So, you know, the old hymn, Trust and Obey. I mean, if you're going to raise your, if you're raising young people, children, youth, you tell them, uh, look, Trust the Lord. Yeah. Walk in repentance and faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives us for all of our sin, including our sexual immorality. You go to Christ, find forgiveness there. And then in trusting Christ, flee from sin and put sin to death. And you're going to have to put sin to death, and you have to be diligent, and you're going to have to make Commitments, And you're going to have to have resolve if you're yeah. going to walk in purity in the midst of a very polluted age. You're going
1: to have to pluck out your right eye, cut off your right hand. It's that serious. It's that deadly. But you do that not in your own strength, left to your own resources. You do that in Christ. And, man, this highlights the importance of the conference we're going to have here in a few months mm-hmm. in Cape Coral. I mean, you're doing a whole talk on law and gospel in parenting yeah. because the, God's given us His law, he's given us His gospel, and we have got to understand both and then see how eminently practical it is to believe the gospel as we seek to
0: obey his commandments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, boy, may God help in this situation. I hope that the broader evangelical world uh, will grasp law gospel principles Amen. and then think about it in its relationship, particularly to raising up young people to walk in sexual purity.
1: The cat Founders Ministries held its first conference in 1983. Since that time, we've expanded the ministry to produce books and journals and have regional conferences and fraternals to have a study center. Uh, We've done multiple things here in the United States and around the world to seek the recovery of the gospel of God's grace and the reformation of local churches. Our desire has always been to facilitate healthy church living. We want to resource pastors and church leaders. We couldn't have done that without financial supporters through the years. We've never made a big deal about financial support. We've never made great appeals for financial support, but we do need financial resources to do the things that we are doing. We are grateful for those who stood with us and we would be uh, delighted to have you come and join us in this ongoing fight to see the gospel of Jesus Christ maintain its pride of place in Christian thinking and in our Christian churches. Uh, We've established this new way of giving called the Founders Alliance membership. I invite you to become a part of the fam with us. There are different levels at which you can give to become a monthly supporter, or if you just like to make a one-time gift. We would welcome that as well. Uh, there's a big fight in front of us. We have a great concern that is arising among our churches and within the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And we would be delighted to have you stand with us, to unite with us, to join arms with us in this fight. Uh, thanks for your support. Pray for us. If the Lord enables you to invest financially in this ministry, we would welcome that. Welcome back to this segment of the Sword and Trial, in which we want to talk about a book, The Sword and The Trial. Every <laughs> once in a while, I got to throw old Jared a bone, so, you sneak, you sneak so I get those articles that are definite in there. Uh, We want to talk about A Quiet Revolution. This is a book that was co-written by Ernest Reisinger and Matthew Allen. Uh, Ernie is now with the Lord. Uh, Matthew Allen is an attorney up in the Tampa area. And the title A Quiet Revolution has the subtitle A Chronicle of Beginnings of Reformation in the Southern Baptist Convention. So if you're interested in how the doctrines of grace kind of were, uh, were rediscovered in modern history in the SBC. Uh, This is a wonderful introduction to that. It traces what's going on or what was going on in the late 90s and uh, early part of this century and how the distribution of literature, largely, the holding of conferences and the work of different folks and and encouraging pastors to come back to the historic foundational beliefs of the convention uh, were carried out. And so Ernie and Matt have done a, a wonderful job of cataloging all of that, and then putting it together with some very practical theological guidance that would be useful for any serious Christian, especially for pastors.
0: Mm. You know the uh, the subtitle, "Chronicle Beginnings of Reformation in the Southern Baptist Convention." Uh, Reformation is a word that you know so many people like. They think, "Well, it sounds good," and you know, I'm "reformed," and church should be reformed and always reforming. And yet, when you really get down to it, that requires some nitty gritty sweat and labor. Oh, I didn't, and I
1: didn't know you mean, meant that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can I just wear a t-shirt? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, so on page 80 here, the, got a great section called the kind of man God uses in reformation. And he says, first, the man God uses in reformation is deadly serious about God's word and God's work. So if you're going to engage in reformation work, you must feel within yourself the responsibility to be a steward Of the mysteries of God. Second, at the same time, Reformation men are bent on success. He says, you got to really say, we want to see uh, some progress made of the kingdom of God in this world. Third, the man who leads a Reformation must be a man of faith. Fourth, the man God uses in Reformation must have confidence in the Savior whose commission he bears. Fifth, the man God uses in Reformation work must be a man who diligently works. Sixth, the man God uses in Reformation must be patient. And he goes on. But boy, just listing out those different principles, uh, this is what it's going to take if you're going to be one who's going to seek Reformation. And given the state of the Southern Baptist Convention presently, there's a lot of things we can be encouraged about if we look over the 20th century and kind of where we were. Mm -hmm. And yet there's all kinds of Uh, challenges, and all kinds of areas in which we need to seek reformation, which shouldn't strike us as strange. The church is reformed and always reforming. But now is the time to say, well, am I uh, a man who's going to be diligent in seeking reformation? Or am I, you know, kind of okay and satisfied with the way things are?
1: Yeah, the last section of this book uh, talks about using creeds and confessions as teaching tools in churches, and so that's valuable in and of itself. Um, it deals with the Apostles' Creed and the 1689 Confession, other confessions of faith as well, which is, I think, sometimes a, um, a largely overlooked method of helping people grow in grace right now we are teaching in our church uh, a special class for adults on sunday morning in the 1689 confession and it's just been wonderful to see people's response to the questions that are being asked and then making applications into their own lives and relationships from the truths that the confession highlights and sets forth in succinct ways so Mm good book we highly recommend it should we put it on sale
0: if you're a southern baptist you really need to get this book look at it it's got the seminary from uh southern or the, the library from Your Southern alma seminary. Mater? my alma mater right there man so um get this book yes we should put it on a, we should put it on sale so it's going to go on sale founders.org go to the store pick up a quiet revolution when we come back we're going to be talking about god's commands particularly matthew 6 19 lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven
1: I want to invite you to the upcoming Southeast Founders Conference. that will be held in Cape Coral, Florida, December the 5th through the 7th. The theme of the conference is the law and the gospel, which is a vitally important issue in our day. Dr. Tom Nettles will be our keynote speaker. He'll be joined by Jeff Johnson, who's a pastor in Conway, Arkansas, as well as Jared Longshore and myself. In addition to the regular conference teaching, we're going to have two special events at this year's conference, and I really want to encourage you to come and be a part of these events. We're going to have an open warehouse where you'll get a chance to tour through the Founders' facilities and see kind of how we do things, including the facilities here in the Founders' studio. And then we're also going to have the premier showing of the Founders' synodoc by what standard? God's world, God's rules. Would love for you to come and be a part of it. Space is limited. You can get more information at founders.org. Let me encourage you to go there and register today.
0: Welcome back to the Sword and the Trial. Here in the third part of our podcast, we like to talk about God's commands. Uh, and today we're looking at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. There, the Lord Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. There's actually two commands there. One thing not to do, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth and then a positive command, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what's that all about?
1: Yeah, well, too often people stop at the negative. You know, they just hear Jesus saying, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. And so there's this mentality of, oh, no, you know, we shouldn't do anything to try to uh, improve our situation on earth or to save money or to work hard and to invest money and make money. It's like that's a pretty fancy microphone you're talking right there. Isn't that an earthly treasure? Somebody paid for that. And we're using this earthly treasure, hopefully, to lay up Heavenly treasure. That's the ticket. <laughs> that That's is the, the ticket. ticket. You know, Randy Alcorn's got this great book. If you haven't read it, I recommend it uh, to you that you get it and read it quickly. It's easy to read. It's called The Treasure Principle. And in that book, Alcorn says, you can't take it with you. That's true. We all say that and we all have heard that. But you can send it ahead. And what he's talking about is this very verse. You make investments of your life and resources now that will have eternal dividends and returns. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that?
0: Practical ways. Well, it 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 seems to involve the stewardship of um, earthly things, tangible things, which is a very helpful. Just like the microphone. I mean, because the the temptation is here to think, well, I'm not going to lay it for myself. Treasures on earth. And so, you know, hey, I would work a little harder and I would reap a little bit more having sown a little bit more, but I'm not going to lay up earthly treasures, so Mm -hmm. I just won't work as hard. And I think that's a misapplication of this verse. But it's saying I'm going to use that which God has given me for the spread of the gospel throughout the world, for the edification of the church, for the salvation of sinners, for the glory of Christ. I'm really going to do that. And in doing that, I'm storing up treasure in heaven which means uh small thing i remember when we used to teach our kids this and i was trying to draw the connection between them being faithful and cleaning up their rooms and storing up treasure in heaven you know people might laugh at that and say oh boy that's a real that's a real great way to get your kids to just clean up the rooms is it that really is it that big of a deal i said well yeah it is because I mean, the children obey your parents and the lord and being good stewards if you're not going to be able to make your bed and clean up your room you're not going to be able to go out and do other things and take responsibility so i want them to be making that connection i'm actually doing this i'm stewarding what i have Um, for the glory of God and I really am storing up treasure in heaven as I do this
1: yeah so it's interesting to think that Jesus commands here he commands us to store up treasure we are Mm -hmm. obligated to store up treasure just not here on earth but in heaven and so you do that to the best of your ability by living well here holding whatever he puts in your hand openly and being willing to invest it in ways that will benefit eternity and Mm -hmm. so man Uh, giving to your local church is right and good and proper. You should see it as an investment in the advance of the gospel, helping people that are in uh, dire circumstances so that they can get beyond them and get back up on their feet and come to better opportunities to grow in this life and think about the life to come. Those are eternal investments, and we we ought to make our investments. We ought to use what God puts in our lives and seek to bring material possessions in our lives For that purpose. You remember in Ephesians 4, Paul says that those who steal should no longer steal, but should work hard, Mm -hmm. work diligently with their hands, so that they might have something to share with people who are in need. What is that? That's making eternal investments.
0: Yeah, and then the great promise that's attached to both commands, um, the reason we shouldn't store it up here. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because moth and rust are going to destroy it. Thieves are going to break in and steal it. might have it for a little while, and then it's going to be gone. But if I store it up in heaven, what's going to happen? Well, it's not going anywhere. That, yeah. I mean, it's a treasure that's going to remain, which, boy, uh, what motivating power that has You know, when we yeah. think about what we're going to do with our lives, how we're going to spend and be spent for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead. No, I had nothing. I'll amen, close this out.
1: Amen. If If I could tell you... That I could guarantee you make an investment today that would pay massive dividends mm-hmm. in 10 years, then you'd probably do I mean. what you could to make that investment today. Amen. Jesus is telling us exactly
0: that. That's right. Thanks for listening to The Sword and Trial again today. Uh, we do have that conference coming up December 5th through the 7th. Yes. Founders.org.
1: Founders.org. Go there and register for the conference. We also want to say thank you to our Founders Alliance members. And if you're not a Founders Alliance member, uh, we would welcome you coming on board and helping us out with this ministry. We're so grateful for those who do. Uh, they enable us to buy microphones that we can be heard through uh, for podcasts
0: like this. Amen. Store of that treasure in heaven you